Excellent. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Etienne, and uh, yeah, good morning to everyone at home as well. Just want to assure you, we know you're there. We're, where's the camera? There it is. <laughs> we know you're there. Welcome, and it's great to have you with us. Great to have every one of you with us here this morning, uh, here in, in, in the flesh, so to speak, as well. Um, yeah, it's terrific that we get to worship God in the way that we do. Thank you to everyone who uh, participated in leading us to this point. All right, let's kick off. In my previous life, uh, when I lived on the big island of Australia in Brisbane, I've had the privilege to preach on the chapter of the Bible that I'm going to preach today. I haven't preached on any of the chapters in the story of Joseph except for this one, Genesis chapter 38. Uh, and we did that as part of a series called Weird Bible Stories. And afterwards, some parents came to, to me into our leadership team and they said, oh, you know what, that was kind of inappropriate. Um, we copped a bit of criticism. Uh, particularly because we had children in church on that Sunday. <laughs> and um, we didn't kind of really set it up and forewarn people that we're going to deal with the content that we did. And they rightly said, look, this is a little bit difficult for us. Now, this chapter, whether I like it or not, came up in the Joseph story, which means I've got to preach it <laughs> because I'm preaching the Joseph story. But... Uh, next Sunday, we were supposed to deal with Genesis chapter 38. However, we cannot because our kids will be in church next Sunday and they're not in church today. So we're dealing with chapter 38 today and we'll go back to chapter 37 next week. So the Joseph story, we're in a series. If you're new here, if you're new to church, we're doing a preaching series. Um, we kicked it off last week. We're just reversing this week and next week. It's a great way to introduce the sermon because the question is, why is this thing so inappropriate? <laughs> what is so bad about this chapter that makes it so hard to preach? Well, um, I'll tell you what makes it so hard. Uh, it's because of the actions of a man. Where is he? <laughs> He's way down here behind the speaker. This man here, his name is Judah. So, just if you weren't here last week, I'll cue you in. We said last week... Um, the Joseph story is a story of God blessing humanity, wanting to bless you. And he uses the life of this whole family here, the man named Jacob and his family, and, and how God works through them to bring about his blessing, to bless you, to bless me. And then as you read through that story, we come across this chapter, Genesis chapter 38, which gives us some insight into the life of this man, Judah. He is a piece of work. He's an incredible piece of work. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to introduce you to him and I'm going to introduce you to a lady called Tamar, whom Jess mentioned. I want to tell you outright, I'm going to leave a lot of questions about the life of Judah hanging. I'm not going to tell you his whole life story. In about three or four weeks' time, we'll get back to him. Today, I'm really just going to make him look like a monster and leave it there. <laughs> Rightly so, because he is that. But I really want to focus on Tamar, the woman in this story. We haven't read the Bible story yet, because I'm going to read it. I'm going to spend about 10, 15 minutes 
just reading the story and explaining it to you. Please hang in there. I know some of you have been on a camp this weekend. <laughs> Young people, this is going to be hard. Uh, I'm going to do my best to engage you. But stay with me. We're going to unpack the story. And then I just want to stop and turn to us and say, you know, what is God saying to us today through this? I mean, this has got to mean something for us, right? It's not in the Bible for nothing. God wants to do something in us today through the story. And we'll just finish there. Everyone okay with that? Okay, uh, let's roll, Phil. Genesis chapter 38. At that time, Judah left his brothers, went down to stay with a man of a dillum named Hira. There, well, let's just pause. At that time, this is after, if you know the Bible story, Judah and his brothers sold Joseph into slavery. This has now happened, okay? That was chapter 37. We'll get there next week. Just keep that in mind. Judah moves. He meets the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. This was lust at first sight. You don't really get it in your English text, but the point is Judah saw this woman. He was into her. He wanted to have her, and he did. Quick, right? This is a marriage of lust. You'll see more of Judah's character in this respect as we go on. She became pregnant. She gave birth to three sons. I'll sum that up for you quickly. The names were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Judah, in verse 6, we read, got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn son, was wicked in the Lord's sight, for the Lord put him to death. If you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the Bible, even if you're familiar with the Bible, that's a stark statement, right? He was wicked, so God put him to death. What kind of a God is this? Do I want to have anything to do with a God like this? It's a big question. I'm not going to answer it today. Sorry, but suffice it. That's for the sake of time, not because I don't have an answer. There's a good answer, and I think you'll get a picture maybe of just how wicked Judah and his sons were. We've just got to get that. These weren't nice people, okay? They weren't good people. And I... What it's worth, trust me, God is a good God and, and, and was justified in what happened to this firstborn son of Judah. Uh. All right. Then, now it gets a bit weird. Actually, it starts to get weird. It's a lot more weird. Judah said to Onan, which is Ur's brother, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. Weird to us. We don't get it. It's not in our culture, not in our ways, but remember, we're thousands of years ago. We're in the ancient, called ancient Mesopotamian culture. Women had no rights. Women could not fend for themselves. Women were entirely dependent on a husband by either way of marriage or of a son to look after you. You were basically out on the streets begging, right? So, in the customs of the time, which God over time would change to be better, here's the provision that he made. He said, if, in this case, someone like Ur dies and his wife, Tamar, is left alone, here's how we're going to look after her. She will get married to this man's brother, and this man's brother will essentially, awkward, have kids for him, <laughs> with her, which for us is very awkward, but, but bear with me. This is ancient Mesopotamia, right? 
And the idea was that thereby this woman, Tamar, would be provided for, right? She'd be looked after. She'd be cared for. Just get this for a second from Onan's perspective. He's the second son who has to marry this woman. It comes at a great cost to him. Right? He has to marry his brother's wife. Okay? Didn't necessarily choose to do so, but wives are expensive. I've learned. <laughs> I love you, Dan. Uh, but no, look, he has to, he has to, we know what a commitment marriage is, right? He has to make this commitment to marry this, this lady. Um, if he is to have a son with her, that son will be not named by him or after him, it will be named after his brother. It's effectively his brother's son, it's not his. Okay? Moreover, again, in the ancient times, the firstborn person had a lot of inheritance, a lot of status, a lot of stuff came your way if you were the firstborn son. In Onan's case, he was the secondborn son. None of that would go to him. It would go to this boy that he might have with Tamar. He's giving all of that up, essentially, right? Whereas if he doesn't have a child, or he doesn't have a son with his brother's wife, all of that inheritance, ka-ting, 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 comes to him. He gets rich out of it exceptionally rich out of it, right? So this is sort of the, the lay of the land between Onan, Tamar, Judah. And then we read this. I'm going to read it. If you have a cursory understanding of the birds and the bees, you'll understand what happened here. Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did, rightly so, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Side note, those boys were not nice. Er, Onan, Judah. These are wicked men we're talking about. So Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, go back to dad's house. Live as a widow in your father's household until my son, the third son, Shelah, grows up, for he thought... Well, maybe this guy may die too, just like his, bro- his brothers. Lots to unpack, widowhood, back to your father's house, um, the shame, the indignity for Tamar in this, it's, it's hard to overstate. This is a big deal for Judah. Now, you don't see it here, but you'll see it in the story a little bit later on. Judah makes a hollow promise. He says, oh, the right thing for me to do is to give you to my third son. He has no intention of doing that. None. He's ditching Tamar. This is his bid to say, nah, we're done. We're cutting you out of the family, right? This is what he's saying. It'll come out again. So Tamar went to live in his father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. So Judah, the dad's wife, dies. And when Judah recovered from his grief, he went up to a place called Timnah. The man who was sharing his sheep and his friend, Hira the Adelamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to share his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes. Now it gets a bit more weird, the story. Took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to a place called Enoim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that though Shelah, the younger boy, had grown up, 
She had not been given to him as a wife. She saw that Judah's ditching her. He's, he's cutting her out of the family, right? He's now a big man, so some time has now passed. Okay? When Judah saw her dressed up out of her widow's clothes in a veil, he thought she's a prostitute for she had covered her face. This is sort of what was done in those days. That was the hooker dress, I suppose. Not realising that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. Good old Judah. This is Harvey Weinstein stuff. I think he would make Harvey Weinstein blush, actually. You know, you get the picture? You get the picture of the type of man that, that we are talking about here? Wife died, yep, prostitution, let's go. Okay? Tamar, now put yourself in her mind here. We, I'm going to get to her towards the end, but there's great suspense here. What is she doing? What is she trying to do? Is what she's doing a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> Smart. right? Oh, maybe. We'll see. But that's now what's going on here, okay? Judah talks to this prostitute. What will you give me to sleep with you? Sorry, the other way. She talks to Judah. Judah, what are you going to give me to sleep with you? She asked. I'll send you a goat from my flock. Seems to be a fair price to pay for sex. He said, she says, will you give me something else until you send it? Give me a deposit, something to hold on to until I get your goat, she says. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal, your cord, and the staff in your hand. Get this. These are very precious, valuable, personal items. It's your wedding ring, your wallet, and your Centrelink number. What does Judah say? Sure. Sounds fair. This is the man we're talking about. I'm saying again. I'm often joking when I told you this is, it's messed up. And he is a messed up guy. Right? He says, yep, no problem. Just to add to the picture here of who Judah is, we're talking now here about Sorry, no, we'll move on first with the story. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, she gave, so he gave them to her, he slept with her, and well, you know, she became pregnant. Um, after she left, she took off her veil, put her widow's clothes back on. He has no idea that he just slept with his daughter-in-law, right? Um, all right, next slide, thanks, Phil. Meanwhile, okay, the story moves on. Judah sent the young goat by his friend to get his stuff back, uh, but he didn't find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enam? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, I think this is all in the quiet, because I think he's quite ashamed of himself, to be honest. Let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughing stock. <laughs> laughing stock anyway, right? But that's the nature of people like that. Let me pretend to the outside world that I'm good, honourable, noble. Let's just quietly see if we can cover this up, right? 
After all, he's trying to settle his conscience. I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find it. I did the right thing. So let's move on. All right, next slide. Thanks, Phil. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. She's probably starting to show, right? And now it gets good old Judah. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. What a guy. What a guy. Do do you get the picture? Uh, Here's a person who sexually exploits and uses women a hypocrite who covers up his own immorality, a guy who sold his own brother into slavery and then lied to his father in the face about it and watched what that did to his dad. Well, that's 37, right? We'll do that next week. This is one incredibly sick man. And we read on. Thanks, Phil. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And this is, I don't know, can you picture being there that day when this happened? The, the tension, I don't know, would have been just incredible. This is the man by whom I was made pregnant. See, if you recognise who seal and cord and staff these are. Tamar plays her trump card. Thanks, Phil. We'll go to the next one. Judah recognised them, and now he does something interesting. For the first time in the entire story of Joseph, which by now spans many years already in the, in the story, he says something interesting. He says, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. I'm going to leave it hanging, but it's interesting to see that Judah does not try and weasel his way out of this. Something happened in that confrontation that started to hit him. I think he started to see something about himself. And it's that shock moment where you go, crikey, she, she is the good person here. He's the one who did the right thing. Right? Will it be genuine? Will it be sincere? We'll see. We'll get back to Judah in three or four weeks' time. He sort of disappears a bit after this point. But here's his response. And then the story goes on, Phil. Um, It finishes with this. The chapter finishes with this. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. She was giving birth. One of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. Then he drew back his hand. His brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was named Zerah. The story finishes with, there are sons. There is a future. There is hope. God has heard the cries of this woman. Two boys are born. All right. Thank you for listening so far. You did an amazing job. This is a lot of content. It's a lot of stuff to explore. We've done that part. For the next 10 minutes as I finish this message, I just now want to stop and say... 
What does this mean for us? Every Sunday, God wants to change something in me and you through this? I don't know. That's the question. What does he now want to do in us? This story, I think, represents to us something about outsiders and insiders. Outsiders and insiders. Judah is an insider. He's part of the family. Remember, this is Abraham's family that we looked at last week, to whom God says, I promise you, Abraham, and your family to bless you. You're a covenant community. I make a promise to you, first of all, and say that through you, I'm going to bless every single person sitting in this building right here today. That's the promise that God makes to Abraham. Judah's an insider. He's, He's an insider to that covenant community. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think of yourself as an insider to God's family of blessing? Are you an insider of the Devonport Christian Reformed Church? Are you an insider to the Pathway to Life Church? Have you been here since the beginning? Are you an insider to the Kingdom of God, the Christian family? Have you been born in Christian family, like Judah was a Christian family? Are you an insider to a Christian school? I don't mean to offend anyone, church. I can say and ask these questions because I'm an insider of the insiders. I'm a pastor, you're right, in the inside covenant community. The truth is there are many insiders in this building today and here's what we can learn of insiders from Judah. Insiders are utterly sinful people in great need of Jesus' changing their lives. Right? Say it again and I'll, I'll, I'll I'll go as far as to say that no one is in a greater need of God's gracious change and transformation of their lives than an insider to God's promise of blessing in his family. I don't know how many times I've had this conversation with with people outside of the church, outside of the the people of blessing. And they would say to you, you know, I always thought Christians were good people, right, up here. Is that what Tamar thought when she met Judah? How many times have I heard the story, have you heard the story when the disillusionment crept in and supposed Christian people were getting known and, and what those on the outside saw was what Tamar saw of this insider family? 
At best, it's just mild disillusionment. At worst, it's mistreatment and abuse. Right? I'm not saying if you're an insider, you're an abuser. Don't, don't hear me that, saying that. I'm just saying that you're a sinner. You know that, probably. So two things from this. Never assume that anyone inside the promises of God is good. Never elevate them. Never give them a place that they do not occupy. The entire Bible proves this. People on the inside are the worst. Think of David. (laughs) Think of the Pharisees in the New Testament, the insiders. No one is in greater need of change than them. (laughs) That's the first thing. Never assume that. Whether you're an outsider or an insider. Second question that raises this raises for us is can there be hope for Judah? Is, what hope is there for an insider? Is there hope for my ex husband? Is there hope for my ex wife? Is there hope for the pastor who abused me? Is there hope for my parents? Is there hope for my broken, sinful church? Is there hope for my child? Is there hope for me? Can I change? Can I, as an insider, be changed? Right? That's the question we get from Judah's life. By the way, when you look at a story like Joseph, what the story wants you to do is it, it wants you to see yourself in the story. Who are you in the story? When we look at Joseph, we'd say, well, obviously, I am Joseph in the story. Right? I put it to you that you'll find that the one who represents all of us in this story is Judah. Not to the extent of his sins, but his life story, as we'll see, is your life story on your journey to Jesus. That's who we are. Can I change? (laughs) Can I become a person who reflects the family of blessing, as God wants me to. That's the question. I cannot answer it today because I need to fill the rest of this series with some content. So we'll leave it hanging. Let's look at Tamar and we finish with her. Tamar represents to us the outsider. Right? She's an outsider. Moreover, she's a vulnerable and a voiceless outsider. Think about this. She's not part of Abraham's family. She didn't get the promise Abraham and his sons did. I don't think she even had a voice in who she wanted to marry. In her day and age, she was just told, this is what you're going to do. She had no voice in it. She was denied fairness and kindness by Judah and his family at every turn, at every point. A vulnerable and voiceless outsider. And here's the thing. She has every reason to believe that this God, whom Judah surely would have spoken of, and whom she heard of through her husband's family, that this God does not intend to bless her. She is outside. How can this God be a good God? How can this God be something that I should reach out for, someone who I should reach out for. Look at what has happened to me. Look at how these men have treated me. Blessing? I don't think so. Friends, 
If there are people here this morning, and you know it if you are one, you have not been part of the Christian family. Maybe not from the beginning of your life. Maybe you didn't have a voice or a say in any of the damaging things that were done to you, perhaps arguably by so many insiders. You've been denied fairness. You've been denied kindness at too many times that you even want to remember. And you too have started to wonder, does God want to bless me? Is God for me? Does God love me? There's two things for you. Firstly, yes. Yes, yes, yes. God does want to bless you. God does seek to lavish his love on you. Hear that, please, dear brother, dear sister. You have a place in a loving and good God's purposes and plans for your life to bless you. You have to get that from Tamar's story. You have to. Sure, hers was somewhat unique, but it's for you too, right? Here's how unique her story was. Do you know what God does with her in the end as an outsider? Jess hinted at it. I'll just reaffirm it. In Matthew chapter 1 in the New Testament, fast forward with me, thousands of years, we're almost done, I promise. The writer gives us a list of the ancestors, the genealogy of Jesus. Right? Jesus is born. Jesus, the blessing. The blessing that it all was about is born, right? And the writer takes the time to tell us these are the people who are his ancestors. This is where he came from. Right? Many generations, thousands of years, all men except for five women. First one, Tamar. God is saying, in my world, in my heart, in my designs and my purposes for the universe, the outsider will be a mother of my son Jesus. That's her place. That's where she belongs. That's where you belong as an outsider. Right? Inside. Not just inside. Very inside is what God's saying. Tamar, we find there. Rahab, if you know your Bible, she's there. Ruth, she's there. Bathsheba, she's there. None of them part of the family of promise. All of them outsiders whom God says, <laughs> they're in. <laughs> they are that in, okay? And then Mary is mentioned. They're the only five women mentioned. Notably, none of the insider women are mentioned. Not because they didn't matter, but I think God wants to make a point to you, outsider you're in. You're in. Okay? If, second thing we can get from Tamar, if you will be like Tamar. What do I mean by that? That you should be like Tamar? Some questionable stuff that we saw from Tamar today. But here's 
what I think, and this might sound strange, but what a woman. (laughs) What a woman. Determined to seek the justice and fairness of God. I'm speculating a bit here, but I'll tell you what. I reckon... I reckon she didn't pull that stunt with Judah, which is, would have been a horrifying thing for her to have to do. Think about how horrifying that would have been. I don't think she did that because she wanted to be in Judah's family. Nor do I think she did it because she wanted to save her own skin and get a future. I'm speculating a little bit here, but bear with me. I think she saw the God who made the promises to this family. And she said, I want in. I want in. Faith? Perhaps. Perhaps she simply (laughs) just believed. Perhaps she did what many outsiders are required to do, and and I... almost say this apologetically to you if you are an outsider, please see the God of the insiders as different to the insiders themselves. I think Tamar saw the God and she looked past the broken sinfulness of the insiders and she clung. (laughs) She said, I want it. She asked. She sought. She knocked, and the doors opened to her. Strange way of asking, strange way of seeking, strange way of knocking. But I encourage you, if you're an outsider, seek Jesus. Don't let your history or for whatever reason that you feel like an outsider put you out. If you can learn anything from Tamar, it's hold on, reach out, Jesus I want to be in you and part of your promise and part of your blessing and I want to know to the full. I don't care that I'm an outsider, right? Be like her, I pray that you would, dear brother, dear sister. Let me wrap up just with one sentence. Here's what we saw today. God is an incredible God who advances his promise of blessing through welcoming unlikely outsiders like Tamar and you and changing disgusting insiders like Judah and all of us. Let's pray. God, your ways are incredible. And thank you for giving us such an odd chapter in your word to show us something that is so close to your heart. I pray for the Tamars here this morning. Lord, may they find their place among your people firmly. Lord, I pray for the Judas here this morning, all of us. May we understand that we need the gracious work of Jesus in our lives. And may we too, in good time, be like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have one more.